Hey everyone, this is the Against the Grain Podcast. This is episode number 37 for November 29, 2018. I'm Justin De Palma, and as always, I'm joined by Freddie Roman. Good evening. And Guy Dunlap. How are you today, man? I am doing great. Well, another week of just us three. So what's what's going on in the shop, Guy? Um, I started a new project. I'm replacing some old, very old, crappy cabinets in my shop. And uh, actually, I got a lot of work done. I learned all the lessons from my last big cabinet build, and I'm doing it much more efficiently, which is really helping me out. I've got I've got them all almost all done already, and it's only it's been less than a week since I started, so it was kind of nice. Good, awesome. That's about it. How, how's your uh... You had one big tall cabinet or two big tall cabinets you were moving around? Yeah, one of them is nine feet, almost nine feet tall, and one of them is almost eight feet tall. How did you get a nine foot tall cabinet? I scabbed on some boards onto the end of it. Okay. You won't see it. Okay. So uh, they're just pocket holed in there. It'll be fine. Uh, the My supplier didn't have any uh, 10 foot plywood. Otherwise, I would have gotten that. Okay. I could have I, I could have split it up. Because the, the, the top of the cabinets are a cabinet, you know, with adjustable shelves, and the bottom of it is going to have drawers in it. And actually, I think you made the suggestion, Justin, of breaking it up to boxes mm-hmm. on the bottom for drawers and cabinets up top. And I thought about doing by that, and I just like, eh, I didn't, I, I don't know why. I just did it the way I did it, because I'm stupid sometimes. You're stubborn is what you are. Yeah, just like everybody I'm talking to today. <laughs> Very stubborn. <laughs> that is yeah. true. Yeah. I guess you're right. <laughs> but uh yeah, I just like I said I've, I'm I'm really motoring along on it really well. So it's it was kind it's kinda nice. I've just got a lot of pieces in the in the shop. You know, I've, I've got I've got all that stuff in there and I've got, you know, a car in there now. I've got four upper cabinets and these two very tall cabinets. The one cabinet I can't move to the other side of the shop. Too tall? It's too tall to move because there's a there's a beam that goes through the middle of the shop. That's why one of the cabinets is only eight feet because mm-hmm. it's going to be underneath that beam. Right. The cabinet that's nine foot, I can't get to that side of the shop anymore. <laughs> that's why I said break it in half. I should have, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. It's just and, one of those and things. And the reason, like I said, the reason I do it a lot is because I work by myself and it's all for finishing, right? It's yeah. me moving things in and out of the booth and everything so I can finish it. And I've, I've learned how to make a lot of things very modular. So. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what happened to me. Cause I was going to spray it and I was like, I can't get it on that side of the shop anymore. Damn it. <laughs> so I had to, I had to do all the, the, the finish on that. I did all the finish on the two cabinets by hand. It wasn't a big deal. It only took me a day. Mm-hmm. which was fine. So awesome. But uh what do you got going on there uh Justin? Uh finishing up this big table. Uh Yeah. That's great. Man, that, whew, that thing is heavy. I bet that top weighs 300 350 pounds. How are you I'm moving it around? I'm not. It's sitting in the <laughs> middle of my shop. <laughs> and I keep having people come over to help me flip it over and do everything and yeah, I I didn't even have the breadboard ends done when I finished the bottom side stained it and everything just to have it done because i didn't want to flip it again yeah so and then i flipped it over and it's uh, you guys might know but it's stained now and has five coats of clear on it right now 
Um, yeah, and I just sanded off towards the edge of it where the breadboard ends go to flush everything up perfectly, and it's re-stained that underneath and sprayed that end, that's all. So Yeah, yeah I no, saw the looks, pictures. It looks really nice. Thank you. It looks. It came out really good. Very happy. Um, I was thinking today, because I made the breadboard ends flush, everything's flush on the ends, it's going to spend probably majority of its life well it's summer life it'll be expanded i bet so we'll see i mean meaning the center section is going to hang past the breadboards but hey that's pretty typical inevitable yeah 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 but yeah no i'm very happy uh it's pretty flat big top like that so everything it's great material for it to be flat (sighs) ah yeah Mm -hmm. uh you know what the ribbon mahogany it's gorgeous man that, that stuff you cannot hand plane it no. not not the african stuff anyways no you can't out oh uh, it's so bad i'll do one piece and the next piece just wants to go the other way and i just mm-hmm. i i tried i worked yesterday sunday on it trying to hand plane it and getting it all completely flat and and i more or less got the lumps out of it and i was just like i can't do this i so yeah. i sanded the whole thing listen so. if you try to hand plane that you'll be swearing so much that you have to go confession Ah, uh, got that right. <laughs> Ridiculous. <sighs> but yeah, so that gets delivered Wednesday. Um, nice before a... Thanksgiving. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah. And they don't even need it, but I just told them I would have it by then. So that's it's... awesome. Be like, I want to get yeah. paid. I want to say thank you, Lord Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, especially after today. So I I had told you, Freddie, that uh, I was putting a satin finish on top of that. Yeah. And the reason was because this finish that I'm using is the MTech, and their satin is not quite a normal satin sheen. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to go to the flat. Okay. Well, I sprayed the base with all that satin on it, and it's just it's too glossy. So I spent the day, literally all day, buying the most expensive gallon of paint I ever bought because I bought the paint. And then I drove basically four hours to go get it and come back with it. Wow. <laughs> just so have it so I can have it to finish spraying it tomorrow with a with a flat finish. Or Jeez. a matte finish. Yeah, so. That sucks. It does. But I will say that M-Tech stuff is really nice. What, Very what, nice stuff. What kind of finish is it? It's a, it's a waterborne conversion varnish. Conversion varnish. Yeah, waterborne M-Tech. conversion varnish. Yeah. It's pre-catalyzed. I don't know <laughs> how that makes it conversion varnish, but whatever. That's what the can says. Mm-hmm. Sprays nice, dries nice, sands nice. So it, it's, it is a night and day difference to over the Valspar stuff I've been spraying. Oh, yeah. So it's so nice. I got to admit. M-Tech is just, you know, I've heard, I've heard great things. Yeah. The no, chemistry it's... is really good. Mm-hmm. 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 So, and there's a cross linker I add to it to make it even more waterproof and everything. But yeah, no, no sealer under it. It even says you don't have to do a sealer. Beautiful. So. You know, there's yeah. something to be said about mahogany, man. Like I love, I love just plain Jane, yep. chocolate brown mahogany. It's just so yep. yummy. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's that's part of the uh, the issue is it it stains so dark. Mm-hmm. When you put a gloss gloss on it, and as thin as I'm keeping the finish, so you really see the grain. Mm-hmm. It it just doesn't react in my eye really well to light. Yeah, um, it just shows everything. So the even flatter or matte finish, it just looks better like that when you when the rake light comes across it. So awesome. The designer was right from the beginning. Oh, <laughs> damn you. It's hard, it's hard to admit, huh? Yeah. 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 But 
What are you up to, Freddie? Uh, what I'm up to. So basically, I'm officially a business. Let's do business talk. I'm officially an okay. LLC. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you, I guess. More money to give to the state. Uh, $520 a year. And um, I'm, I, um, I have a home improvement. Like um, re- I'm registered as a home improvement contractor. But the issue that I'm starting to have is the home improvement con- contractor's license is up to four units in a building. And there's several units that or buildings that have more than four apartments. And legally, because there's a board of trustees and everything else, uh, I can't work on it. So I'm now going for my builder's license. So that won't be an issue for the future. And uh, that's another $800 out the window. So, so let, let me ask you a quick question is there a loophole if you're only working on three or four at a time and then you move on to another one no well i guess you can say there's there is a loophole but the issue is i think it all depends on how how much of a stickler the board of trustees are in that they are and they are so and then it's just kind of it's okay because um there seems to be for some oddball reason i'm in i don't know where my life takes me sometimes I've been getting a lot of phone calls to be, you know, asking to do interior house sections of houses and um, doing some trim packages and everything else. And I'm working with other people and they're pulling the permits, but sometimes it'll be just easier just for me to pull a permit and then mm-hmm. he be the GC and me make more money. And mm-hmm. there's it seems to be a lot of opportunity regarding uh, bigger jobs that will pay a lot more money and the work is really easy. So I decided, you know, that this could be very beneficial for me. So I'm, right. I'm going to go ahead and do that. And I mean, worst comes to worst, you just don't renew your license, right? Yeah, but I would, I would just renew it for uh, it's a hundred dollars a year to renew. Oh, so okay. at at that point, it's really cheap. The upfront cost is to take the class, which includes the test, and four hundred and thirty dollars in in the books. Okay. Uh, and I sit in a f- six sessions uh, of classes that are meet for two hours a night, which is fine. Yeah, but you know, this gives me plenty of opportunities to work on multiple families and do more mm-hmm. contracting if I wanted to. So I, I said sure. And then um what else am I doing? I, I'm currently bidding on seventy church pews for a church. That new or refinished? Refinished, they're all period. They're from the mid eighteen hundreds. Wow. From another church, they were all painted this burgundy color and some other weird uh, fluorescent colors. They all want to be stripped to bare wood and clear varnished. <sighs> Seventy of them by September. Go ahead. I was gonna say that sounds like a lot of work. It's a ton of work. So you- I I told them I haven't seen it at the moment. I said I'm just gonna be honest with you to make sure that we're on the same page here without even knowing exactly the detail, I'm going to tell you it's going to cost you at least $2,500 per. And that doesn't include the repairs or supplies or pickups or deliveries. And so I said $2,500 times 70, that's $210,000 minimum that's going to cost you. Are we on the same page? And she said, we're on the same page. So I said, all right, I'll continue moving forward with it. So, you know, sounds like church has got more expensive next week. Yeah, church got more expensive. So, <laughs> I, I I will say that I'm I'm excited and eager to do it. I won't be able to do it by myself um, mm-hmm. if I do get it, but I've been recommended by multiple people. 
So I'm grateful for those people. Uh, they already did the, like paint analysis and the whole house. They sent over 35 pages worth of like paint and finish analysis in the whole building. So they paid conservators to go ahead and do dendro analysis, how old the wood is and everything else. So it's pretty intense. And, uh, you know, she said her budgets, there really is no budget. So, you know, that's always a good thing. So hopefully I get it. I will hire multiple people. And the reason why I say that is because I'm also going to apply for um, micros and this old house generation next to see if I can get accepted to that little program that they have for this old house and see if I can wrap my head around going into more of strapping the belt on and see if, if it pays more. Because while this year has been an amazing year for me and my business, I feel that Lester Church is coming more and more knocking on my door. I've reached the point of how much higher can I actually go? And uh, so I decided that I need to go ahead and see what else I have for options and see how much bigger I can grow the business. And um, I know people who are doing easier work and making more money. And so I said, well, I think I need to try that route out too. So I'm going to be chasing that as well next year. And hopefully we'll see where life will take me. Good, good for you, Freddie. Yeah. That's, cool. that's nice that you keep an open mind and you know, you know where you want to go and where you want to be. You, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things that uh, I'm not just money driven, but in the end, I love what I do, but I love what I do while getting paid good money. <laughs> so, you know, in the end, the money is what matters. You know, I have a life that's coming up and, you know, getting to get married. I'm going to have kids and, and everything else. So, you know, I'm starting a little late. So I basically need to get my crap together and I need to get it together real fast. And I think um, strapping the belt on and swinging a hammer and nail gunning things together uh, will give me that opportunity. And um, I hope they can take advantage of me also telling them, let me finish it for them or let me paint it for them or let me do other things because I've been there and hopefully that opens more doors for me. So good for you. That's what I'm doing. Yep. I, I definitely agree. If you're not going through life with blinders on, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. So, exactly. Or just being focused or narrow minded. I don't, they're all the wrong things to say, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Good. All right. Um, this week's topic. I think I actually brought up one while I was talking about my table, but, um, we're going to talk about myth busting. Myth busting. All the things you hear you should do, but you don't really have to do, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. Yep. We're not going to blow things up or anything like that, like they do on TV, but that would be cool too. But if they yeah. want to sponsor well, it, would, it, would, it, it wouldn't be It wouldn't be very good for an audio thing to blow something uh, up. You know? I beg the differ. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy. <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy. Yep. So what's our first myth? First myth. Uh, I'm going to start off with how about spraying in the cold? It's too cold for a finish. I disagree. I totally disagree with that. Mm -hmm. That is something that I've proven time and time again that it affects the finish, but it doesn't hurt the finish. Mm -hmm. um, it's effect. It For me, the only thing it's ever affected is the drying time more than anything. Uh, but 
I, 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 mean, I would I'm think I would think humidity it. would be a bigger factor than the than the yes. temperature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which even that there's ways to combat it, but yeah, for the most part, I don't even, I don't have really many issues with anything. It's just it affects drying time more than anything for me. Um, now that being said, I'm not going to tell you to go spray in 120 degree weather or in 25 degree weather, right? That there's the limits, but I don't know. I, it, I've, I've, I've sprayed in 25 degree weather. I have two and it, I'm not going to say it was the greatest thing. But well, you know, more, I, yeah, I'll be honest with you. More of it was cold on my hand coming through the spray gun than anything, but you know, I, yeah. I, I sprayed def lacquer out on the loading dock in Massachusetts, the wind blowing, you know, everything's set. I'm using a turbine. So at that mm-hmm. time, so the, at least the, just, some, it, just heating it up a little. And I did warm up the container, but I'm still mm-hmm. spraying cold outside. And even though they said def lacquer, you're not supposed to thin, I thinned it by 20%. I sprayed yep. it. It laid down beautifully. Yeah. No, I, I've sprayed that cold as well. But usually for me anymore, it's 30 is the limit. It's just too cold, mm-hmm. I feel like. Um and again, no negative effects of it. It's just it's just too cold for me to spray that. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, now there there is some little tricks to that. I will say, uh, like like you had mentioned, I I will preheat the container on a hot plate in a bath water bath just to get it warmed up a little bit, mm-hmm. which helps the finish to flow a little bit better more than anything. And if that's the case, my spray booth is unheated. It's not heated, so those parts will sit in my shop where it's heated. And then when it's time to spray them, I will bring them out there mm-hmm. and let them then be in the cold, not necessarily a 30 degree piece that I'm spraying a hot finish on. Yeah. So, you know, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Then no, uh, that being said, it, it, there's no issues with it actually drying though. Because what, what sometimes people don't understand is I do the opposite. Even in the, in the summer, I know the doors I'm working on are hot. They receive a lot of heat. I actually put my varnish in like a cold bucket of water and, okay. and cool it down that. because even though it makes them thicker, by the time it hits the the wood, it's so warm, it flows itself really fast and gives me the capability okay. of flowing it better versus if it hits something so hot, it dries too quickly for me. I never even thought about doing it the opposite way. And part is because I've never had to deal with it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So What's another one? Busting. So, I think I think guy should be next. What do you think, guy? What do I think? What's your next? Um, well, I, my, I think guy should be next too. Yeah. Who cares what he thinks? <laughs> <laughs> my my one of my favorite ones that I wouldn't say is as a favorite, but something I hear all the time that that kind of it's like, oh, you're so you're insane. It's cheaper to build it myself. Mm. Wow it's never cheaper to build it yourself mm. uh, for me anyways, because I always want the better materials. I'm always going to spend more time and, you know, you, and that's mostly when a customer comes to you too. It's like, well, why are you 10 times more than it is a target? Well, because yeah. it's not made of particle board. Yep. You know, it's solid wood. Um, that statement being just made by somebody is 10 cents an hour. Yeah. That, that statement just, it's just so wrong. Uh, I don't think I've ever built anything that was cheaper than I could have bought it at, you know, one of the local furniture stores. Mm. My materials cost more than that, typically. 
you know, not including yeah. my time. Yeah. You know, I think that that's true. If you know, there's some plumbing that needs to get done, or some electric electrical work that needs to be done, it's going to be more yeah. expensive for me to do it. And the furniture aspect, it's kind of like I kind of do it for a living. I do it relatively quickly. I want it to be a certain um, style and dimension or or uh, quality. I save the money by putting it in my pocket. It's cheaper for me to make it. Yeah, I, I think if you're comparing it apples to apples, hmm, apples, it probably isn't cheapest, right? Yeah, apples to oranges. Saying that uh, a Home Depot cabinet or something I build, and, and no way, it's cheaper to go buy it at Home Depot. Oh yeah, cheap particle board cabinet. Mm-hmm. And, and even if I was the same, use the same materials and everything, your labor time, which is in a way it's free, but it isn't right. I don't care. It's still cheaper to go to Home Depot and buy it. Yeah. <laughs> by the time I buy the materials and then I buy a gallon of finish because you have to buy a gallon. You can't buy whatever. Yep. The little bit that I need. Y- yeah. You're, you're better off buying something. Now. Uh, it depends on what it I is. Think, exactly. Really I think the way Freddie's looking at it, if you want to go buy yourself a, a Seymour looking glass table, mm-hmm. well, that's a little bit different. Freddie's ahead there. Yep. <laughs> Maybe. Unless he finds it at an auction now, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just referring to I, the general people think that you know. It, it, I, I see this thing in in a in a furniture store. They see a you know a, a six foot table that's three and a half feet wide and it's yeah. got a trussle design to it, and it's six hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. They come to you and they say, you know, can you build me one? Yeah, well, it's going to be four thousand dollars. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Are, well, it should be cheaper, shouldn't it? No. Yeah. It's not cheap. So that just drives me drives me crazy every time I hear that. And I get a lot of people that that's that's why I probably don't get a lot of work because I am more expensive. And people want you know they they expect it to be cheaper. I'm, I'm working with this lady right now that wants me to build a a little cabinet around a wine a wine cooler, and I told her my price, and she goes, "Oh my gosh!" And I'm like, "Well, you know, mm-hmm. sorry." Well, you know, yeah. that's that's why I kind of not that I don't want to make furniture, but it's kind of one of those things that if you want me to bid on a piece of furniture, it's going to be the price that I know I want to stop working and work on your piece and only get paid in the beginning, middle and end. And if you don't want to pay me those thousands of dollars, then I'm not your guy. I, I'd rather just repair furniture, mm-hmm. you know, so. It's a, and you're right. That's what it should be. You should be getting paid for your time. So. And it's it's, diff, it's difficult because today the market of the antique world, you know, I get I've done seven dining tables in the last month. They've been buying them at auction. The mahogany that comes in, it's like, oh my god, look what I got! I got you know four foot wide, ten feet long table for fifteen hundred dollars. And then they're gonna pay me twenty five hundred dollars to refinish it, <laughs> and they still think they got a steal, and they did. Because I can't even get that mahogany for twenty five hundred dollars. So, you know, kind of interesting. So, who's next? Yeah. What's the next myth? That, that would be that. That would be that, you, that would be you, Freddie. Oh my goodness, it's me next. Yes. So one of the biggest uh, things that make me shake my head, and they say that's impossible. I don't know if you want to call it a myth, but it has has that feeling of a myth, that aroma of a myth. Is that you can't resaw a twelve-inch wide board with a three-eighths of an inch width blade skip tooth on the bandsaw? And I say that it's a myth. I do it all the time. 
I hate changing blades. That three eighths does everything for me. What do you guys think? Sure. Sure. Agreed. It all has to do with a quarter inch. Yeah. It all has to do with how many teeth it has and your feed rate and everything else. So yeah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how wide the blade is. Hmm. Yep. I think, yeah, bandsaw setup and the feed rate does more than anything. Yep. So. There you go. That was a quick one. <laughs> that was an easy one. <laughs> that was a quick one, huh? So my second myth, yeah. I, I, since it was a quick one, uh, let's go backwards. My second myth is that you only can put one coat, uh, you can only brush on one coat of shellac a day. I hear it all the time. Yeah. I hear it all the time. <laughs> you know, I understand spraying is one thing, padding is another. But, you know, I, I obviously temperature plays a factor. But, you know, I think I put four or five coats of two pound cut shellac on a top of a sideboard that needs to be gone tomorrow. And that thing is laying out beautiful. Like no, no ifs, ands, or buts to shop it at 61 degrees. It's, it's ready to go. It's, you know, I think that you got to be cautious, but I think that's a, that's a myth. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I can put on three, four coats in a day. Absolutely. No problem. Yeah. I'm with you, Freddie. Yeah. Easily. Whatever it'll take. Woo. Here's a little side note question for you. Yep. Um, and this is something I've always wondered, and I think it matters, but it doesn't matter. Uh, when you're spraying a finish, mm-hmm. if I spray a coat and then turn right back around and spray another coat or top of that coat, mm-hmm. is that one, two coats or technically is that still one coat because the other coat's wet? Well, technically they'll say it all depends on the mill thickness that you put on it. I classify that as two coats because by the time yes. you reach the other end, you know, the, if you start again at the left, it's relatively dry and it's a second mm-hmm. coat. Um, but obviously with shellac and like lacquer, it, it basically becomes one solid coat. But the overall thickness makes it seem that it's two coats. Right. Boonadum. All right, I'll go again. Boonadum. I'll go again. And this just made me think of one. This wasn't even on my list. But mm-hmm. you have to sand between coats of finish. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and I'm not just saying lacquer or shellac. I mean, a lot of finishes, you really can get away with it. Yes. Absolutely. I'm say, Especially okay, water. I'm not going to say everyone, but yeah, yes. Especially water. I agree. Yep. I will easily spray two coats back to back on top of each other. In other words, I mean, between within like an hour or so, whenever they dry, then I'll spray the next coat. If the build is not enough from that first coat or even... Uh, and, and I tend to do it a lot where if I spray my first coat and it's still rough, there's no sense of sanding it because it's just going to make that coat rough. The next coat that I put on will be rough. So I'll spray two goats to get a build so that I'm really have that grain or the wood fibers locked in to that finish. That way, when I sand, I'm really breaking them off free. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. On a side, <laughs> in the middle of our podcast, side note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody said I say use a lot. Do I use? Yeah, yeah, I use. Do. I yeah. do. I never even caught that. Okay, sorry, everybody. Use no, that's, that's all, all right. use out there. I'm sorry. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> Nobody cares. Use okay, man. Use okay. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I've I've caught myself saying right a lot, but yeah, that's right. Am I right? Right, 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 right. Okay. Next question. Um, that you have to put finish on both sides. Of the wood in a piece. Ooh. That's absolutely incorrect. I agree with that. Most, most of the time. 
It depends on what it is. If, it, if the piece, if the, if the, let's say it's a side and that side is captured in a, you know, with, with joinery or whatever, and you're never going to see the inside of the cabinet. No, I wouldn't bother with your, it. Your buffet is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, the it, insides aren't finished. Actually it is finished because you see the insides, oh. but the part it, your buffet is not a good, it's not a good example, <laughs> but it, it kind of is because like behind the, you wouldn't have to do behind the drawers that you'd never see. Right. And all the pieces, all, all the sides and everything, they're all captured. It's not going to, it's not going to move. It's just not going to, it's not going to move. Hmm. Um, kind of like a drawer, you know, like people say, you know, you have to veneer both sides of a panel, but if you're just doing a drawer face, and that drawer is put into the sides with dovetails, you don't have to put veneer on both sides. In most cases, that never happens. You're just putting veneer on the face of the drawer. On a small drawer, I'll agree with that. Now, yeah. I think I've done it on large drawers and haven't had issues. I, I think it it depends on when you're veneering. Like if you're veneering a drawer front one-sided after the drawer is already made, I think you have a lot more success. Yeah, and that's what I'm referring to. If you do it in a vacuum bag, one side, and then get rid of the dovetail, I think there's potential for failure. Yeah, it's going to cup on you. So. That I would agree with, because it's not captured, mm -hmm. and that's why that's why I used that with that term before when I was talking about the finish. If that piece is captured inside something, in most cases, you're fine. Well, well, back to that. I will also agree that. Uh, you only need to finish one side if you're oiling it. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if you have a top that you oil, I think you can get away with just putting an oil coat on one side and not necessarily the other side of a tabletop. Mm. I would agree with that. Do you disagree? You disagree? Fred, no, you don't. I agree with you. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, What's the next myth? Are we back to you again, Freddie? I don't know. Me? Is it me? I do not recall. So my next, the next myth, woodworking is a dying hobby. Hmm. Dun -dun -dun. I think it's not. I think that there's plenty of wood butchers out there enjoying, you know, woodworking <laughs> and destroying precious lumber and having a good time doing it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, I, what I do think that's dying is the intermediate and advanced knowledge. But I think the overall spectrum of woodworking is alive and well. What do you guys think? I, I think, yeah, the hobbyist level is probably booming more than it's ever yeah, been booming. The DIY the hobbyist. 20, yeah, that whole that whole thing I think is bigger than ever. I agree. Yep. Um, which, I, I mean, I wonder if in 10 years you're going to see a bunch of intermediate woodworkers from that because it'll eventually mm -hmm. advance, but we'll see. I do agree with you there. Yeah. I, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the programming on television. Yes. A lot of these people see the stuff being done and say, Oh, I can do that. And they're, they're, they're building like, like what you said, it's, it's, it's basic stuff, beginner stuff, hobbyist level, mm -hmm. uh, and there's absolutely, I'm not, I'm not disparaging anybody. I think that anybody that, that goes ahead and tries to do something themselves. I mean, I, I, I think that's just awesome. Um, 
but also, and you, you mentioned the intermediate and advanced level, you know, I, I hope that a lot of those people will see that there's, you know, a, a level above building stuff out of construction lumber. Mm, that was my next myth. And, and, and going into, you know, hardwood. What was, what was your, what was your myth, Freddie? Go ahead. Let me, let me, let me jump in there and say, on a side note of Freddie's, I got all these side <laughs> notes this week. Um, <laughs> your grandpa or your uncle Charlie most likely is not a good woodworker. Yes. I want you to know that. <laughs> Even though you guys think he's the greatest. <laughs> Big time. You know, drive. Freddie fixes his stuff all Driving the time. another nail and screw into the, into the mortise and tendon does not fix a chair. So that is a myth. Sorry, Uncle Charlie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or uh, Gorilla Glue yeah. is the best glue there oh, is man. on a myth. You know, Craig T- that fills all the gaps. Craig Thibodeau will, will yeah. disagree with you. He loves he loves polyurethane glue. I think he uses it a different yes, way than I most agree. people, though. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. My next Wait, myth sorry. is that two by four plywood, two by four material is great material for a bench top. That's my myth. I think that's a myth. I, I I think two by fours are not meant for fine furniture. They're not meant for way. furniture. Period. They're not meant for furniture, and they're not meant yes. for workbenches. Yeah. I'm sorry furniture. for the tops. Yep. Yeah, I I I agree with you. I I see that all the time where people are making you know like uh, farmhouse style tables mm-hmm. out of construction lumber mm-hmm. and no. painting them, and they 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 look kind of decent now. Mm-hmm. Give it a year. They're going to explode at every joint. The boards are going to cut. The grain is going to pop up and start fraying out of the top of it. And it's going to look like hell. And in two years, it'll be unusable. Now, here's the thing. And we're not just saying that if you're a hobbyist or somebody like that listening to this podcast. Framing material is meant to be, for the most part, attached at the ends and allowed to do whatever it wants to do in the middle there for the most part, because it's not trapped in a stud wall. It's not asked to do something like that, except for being structural. It's not really said stay still and hold this and make look pretty for the rest of your life. Right. It's it's meant to be covered up, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately the grain and material selection or the way it's cut, um, it's, it wasn't considered, um, it's it's for yield. It's not for beauty. Correct. The way it's dried, and you know that all comes into play. And I understand that you got you guys all have to start somewhere, but it's almost to the point that you're better off just putting, you know, piece of plywood on top as as a top, and the base as your two by four versus making everything out of two by four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I, w- I wasn't disparaging anybody by saying that, and I, I want to you know put that out there. Uh, some of the stuff like I said looks really good, but it's just not going to stand the test of time. Is the is the real issue with it? And all we have is time is on our side, you know, like that great old song. Yeah, Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> so who's next? Who's next? Who's next? Uh, I'll go. Um, you can't glue wood across the grain, cross grain gluing, and, and more what I mean by that is. Uh, like bandings mm-hmm. and things like that go across the grain all the yeah. time and they pretty much hold up pretty yeah. well. So. I have to agree. You know, there's, there's some occasional cracks and some separation, but you know, I've made a 
three Seymour pieces that have like banding on across the grain, and it's held up perfectly fine. The only thing that's moved is at the very front. The gap gets a little, or opens up, and then it closes. But it's held in place, mm -hmm. no problem. I have my desk that I built that has the uh, the lid on it, and that has, and it's a triple tenon, but all three tenons are glued on that top. That is 14 inches wide, but the tenons are glued, not the actual whole end is glued to it. So it, it, it does move and expand through itself, but there's room for all that. Yep. You know what I mean? And, it, and that's more advanced type of gluing, but it's yeah, so two pieces of wood grow glue cross grain from each yeah, other. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a breadboard end almost. And basically, yeah. yeah and, but it's all glued except for like my table where it's only glued in the center. Yeah. But I mean even you could still, you know, I've I've put breadboard ends on a lot of very small tables mm -hmm. and uh put glue across, you know, all the tenons on the end. Yeah. And haven't had any issues. Well, I haven't seen a lot of those tables in a number of years, but uh, I assume they're doing okay. I have, I still have a couple of them around that I can see every now and then. And, you know, Uncle Guy is an amazing woodworker. Yeah. That's, that's, that's <laughs> the next myth that I actually know what I'm talking about or that any of us know what we're talking about. And the yeah. thing is, it's like, you're constantly, constantly learning everything, even things that you think you're comfortable with. You, you do it enough and then you still find better ways to do it and think about it or find another way or read about it or see somebody else do it. And, uh, you're just constantly learning. I, I, I still consider myself a beginning woodworker. You know, you have to have that mentality. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that keeps you humble. The, the minute you start saying, you know, and I mean, this as a joke because Justin, I don't know who said this, who's better than me. It just makes it come across that you're, you know, a little bit too cocky and people don't really enjoy that sometimes. So by eating that humble pie, you know, that comes across a little bit better, even though you may be like the best thing since sliced bread, you know, it's just one of those things that some people take things differently because they feel that you're too cocky. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. That's how you mm -hmm. present yourself. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say here's a side <laughs> note on that. But <laughs> pretty much everything in the in woodworking has been already accomplished. Nobody's inventing anything new. That's a myth. If you think you invented something new, because it's been done. Uh, unless you're using some new material or something, it's it has it, everything's been done. It's just it's all been done. Out I don't even know what new material you could find that somebody hasn't done something with. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I don't know. I'm taking some composite or something weird like that, but that's not woodworking. So yeah, yeah. I, it's 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 all been done. Styles, everything. It's at some point was been done. Style, right. joinery, tips and tricks. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I've I've run I've I've done stuff before, and I go, man, that's kind of cool, and then I. I, I'll look it up and it's like, oh, they wrote an article on this. But no original design. That's what I guess I want to say. Yeah. Well, you know, Sam Maloof uh, said it himself, so we can't argue with that, man. Yep. You could argue, but you'd be wrong. Yeah, I'd be wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good point. <laughs>
I yeah, got another ready. one. You ready? Sure. Pocket holes are the only joinery there is for face frames. <laughs> That's a myth. Yeah, some people think it's the only way you can do it. Uh, That's a good one. I'm gonna have to say I disagree. I yeah, yeah absolutely. All different <laughs> kinds of ways you can do it. There's nothing wrong with pocket holes. Yeah. I don't. I I personally don't think they're as good as people think they are. I will say that. So. I say they're strong, but they're not as strong as people think they are. Mm-hmm. Right. It has its its flaws. Limits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's just like anything else. Everything has its place. Yeah. And there's 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 a time and a place for pocket screws, and there's times and a place where you shouldn't use pocket screws. Um, but in a face frame, I think they're fine. But there's there's lots of other ways to do it. Yeah, for sure. Why don't you give us give us um, a way to do it that's different than uh, pocket screws, Justin? <laughs> you could go spend a bunch of money and get yourself a domino, <laughs> or uh, the the other thing is mortise and tenon. That's a great way to do it. Um, you can do yeah. them with biscuits. Biscuits, number zero biscuits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or even a big biscuit. Uh, what's the biggest one they 20? have? FF twenty or FF? It is. Is there something bigger um, than a twenty? I'm not familiar with. I think the FF is bigger, which yeah. it's. I don't even know if I've ever seen one before, but my machine goes that big. Uh, Towel. And then you just mm-hmm. cut it off. Yeah. So let it hang out the top and then cut it yeah. off at the bottom. Yeah. Right? Um, you can use dowels. Mm-hmm. You can use yes yeah. dowels. That's a great dowels joint. That's a very good joint. It's a, and, and I think in in the fine woodworking hobbyist world, a dowel is not uh, taken advantage of as much. Is that the right way to say it? it is, it's not used mm-hmm. as much as it it's is. underutilized. Under yes, underutilized. Right. Yeah. In in the production world, it's overutilized so. yeah but. but yeah i mean I, I i use dolls i wouldn't say all the time but they're it's just like pocket screws there's a there's a place and a time to use them where it's appropriate and dolls are really easy to to use too i mean it, all yeah all you need to do doll joinery is a 30 dollar jig and a drill mm-hmm. you don't even need a jig you can make your own yep just out of a block of wood I mean, it's it's yep. not rocket science. It's very easy to do. Totally. Go ahead, Freddie. Oh, I was going to say, I've got go one. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. When you're gluing up a tabletop, you have to alternate the growth rings. Uh, I, that's so one up, one down, one up, one down, one up, one down. I think that's a load of BS. I have never, ever looked at the end grain and done it that way. Mm. See, I, I, all I care about, all I care about is how the grain matches up mm-hmm. and to make sure that if I'm using like figured wood for a tabletop, that the, the light is hitting the grain or the, sh- the chatoyance is correct. So one board yep. doesn't look dark from one side of the table and then it lightens up at the other side of the table and the other ones turn dark. I mean, all that stuff comes into play. And if, you know, if you're making a piece of fine furniture, if all you're concerned about is alternating the growth rings, your tabletop's going to look like garbage. You'll get a ribbon stripe out of it. Yeah. 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 Um, totally agree with you. And mm. I've done it both ways. I mainly do it like you're talking about guy where it's the wood has to look right. Yeah. That's the main pro, uh, aesthetic for me. Right. So, what, what you can end up with at times is if you glue it up like Guy gets, 
you'll get a potato yeah. chip effect. In other words, one big cup. If you glue it the other way, yeah. you get a ripple effect. So it's like six and one half Unless dozen the other. So you only buy quarters on or riffs on material. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. So you know, I I and it, explain why. Well, uh, if you so use know. Uh, if you're using material that's been flat sawn uh, with the cathedrals on its face at the widest point, uh, it has a tendency of cupping, bowing, and twisting down its length and its width. And with, and it, it expands on its width. So there's a tendency of more movement on a board that has, that's been quartered or has rift. Uh, if we go quartered, it's not going to expand in its width. It's actually going to expand in its thickness. And the way the science behind that is practically impossible, it's going to move very little. So it's going to be extremely stable. When you use rift yeah. material, it's so straight uh, it has a tendency of expanding, contracting significantly less, and there's a tendency of having less of a bow or twist from occurring. Yeah, I'm, I'm referring mostly to the plain sawn or flat yeah. sawn wood, right. and people get really wrapped around the axle on that. And well, you know, you know I, I will say I do pay attention to the end grain. Now, I will lay things down, up, down, up, down, up, down, because I want the rippled effect versus the cup effect. I start there first and then I flip the boards around and twist things around to see what the best grain is. And then I look at how the boards are oriented and then I may switch slide boards in and out to hopefully get a relatively rippled effect. But in the end, the grain and color and defects decide what the top is going to be. Correct. So, Yes. And, and for me, it's, mm-hmm. I, I do more grain. I want the grain to be, uh, boy, complimentary. Boy, this is one of those days. Yeah. I want the grain to be complimentary for me. And then the other thing that's very important to me is the boards are all facing the same way. And I keep that in mind for when I go to run things after I glue it up and I run it through the planer, or if I'm going to hand plane it, I'm not going one way and then having to turn around and go the other way. It's uh, there. That's like looks first all facing the same way second and then third comes down if i alternate the flipping of them because that to me is the least important of all of it yeah, and i don't know how you guys feel about this and this is a, a side note so but it's kind of a myth um we all know wood moves due to humidity and we just talked about that you know the different type of you know if it's flat sawn rift sawn quarter sawn or whatever mm-hmm. i have found that in a modern home where humidity like my house is humidity controlled yeah my stuff doesn't move mm-hmm. not that agreed it, it moves but i mean it's so slight it's almost non-existent i i i agree with you i think i am an exception and i go by this because when I did construction, I worked in houses that were, it was air conditioning and then it would get a little bit cool and they had the heater on while the air conditioner was on the two of them were reacting to each other, but they never opened the windows in my house. Right. Whereas in my house, there's times of the year where it's, it gets hot or cold in my house because I'm for lack of a better term, too cheap to turn the heater on or the air conditioner. I'll suffer mm-hmm. for that little bit. Right. <laughs> my poor kid. <laughs> but, but yet, no, there's, uh, I would say you don't you're suffer. Right, but, 
at the, the thermostat. Right. Set. The modern have, house and family. Yeah, we have humidifier built into the uh, mechanicals of the house and it's set at a certain level and it never changes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just never changes. I think a, a, a lot of that. Now, I will say if you make something, you know, and you're, you know, let's say you're in New Jersey and you ship it off to Arizona. Yeah, that's going to be a difference. Mm-hmm. And you really have to yeah. consider that when you're making it. But, you know, for most people that are that are building and making stuff in the environment and where, where they live, it, it doesn't move as much as you think it does. It doesn't move as much as it did 200 years ago when people were making these, these pieces. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, a lot of that stuff was designed around to be able to expand and contract. Yeah. At least the good, the nice stuff was anyways, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's uh, busted. Yeah. <laughs> on, on a, on another note on that one, um, you don't have to rough mill your materials to use them right away. I, I, there is I'm not sure I follow you. Uh, so there's that two milling process. So mm-hmm. you'll rough mill it to a, like a quarter inch over and then wait a day or two and then do the other, mm-hmm. the other final milling. Right. I, don't have to agree with that. What I do agree with is that if you're going to do where, let's say I want to use that board that day, I'll mill equal amounts off of each side. Yeah. Is that not, a, that's not a mess. Should we just, yeah, that one? <laughs> yeah but um, I, I, I will do that. I mean, if I'm building a project, I, I pick out all my boards. It's the first thing mm-hmm. and I will rough mill them just so they get, you know, where I've got, you know, at least three sides surfaced and then I'll just let mm-hmm. them sit. And when I'm ready to use that piece, you know, it only takes five minutes to, to run it over the joiner and put it through the planer, get it the thickness I want, do the joinery, get it all done. And, you know, and it's moved at that point. A, a lot of my stuff is I need it faster mm-hmm. than I thought I needed it. So I will usually joint one side run the other side through the planer and then I'll start flipping the pieces. I'm running it through that planer to get down to its final thickness Yeah, right then and there. And that allows it to equalize. Yeah. That's, that's a good um, practice when you're, when you're, yeah. And, and I, right. And I will 90% of the time the board doesn't move. Some things do move. There's some things you just, maple likes yeah. to move, right? I was that's just going to say maple but, just, it just yeah. moves like crazy sometimes. Yeah. But that's just tension in the wood. You know, yes. and, and yeah. if it's case hardened from the, from the drying process and things like that, and hard maple is really, can be a real bear sometimes, you know, this, you know, this board that you think is perfectly straight and you get it milled and then you go to, to cut it or resaw it and all of a sudden it just goes, Bleh. yeah. So who's next? Freddie. We haven't heard one from Freddie in a while. Maybe mine are, maybe mine are not that good. Yeah, they are. So they're from you. You're one good. of the uh, ones I constantly hear, and it's more common when people post videos about their dust collection. Mm-hmm. And the one I know where this is going, and it's one hundred and fifty percent a myth. And I believe it's called uh, the static electricity with dust collection that you have to ground it, that you can't use that PVC. 
there's so much static that's just going to go ahead and blow everything up. And yet there's like millions of woodworkers and people out there who do not do anything correctly because they're self-taught and is yet to have an issue. <laughs> so what do you guys think? I agree with you 100%. Yes. You know, if you put a, uh, if you take a coffee can and put flour in it and hook a hose up to it and blow into it, it will explode. That, that's, that is a dust explosion. <laughs> and that's because the particles are so fine. That will not happen in a, in a dust collection system. Those particles are not fine enough, A, to cause an explosion. B, there will be some static electricity buildup mm-hmm. on plastic if the particles are rushing past it at a certain speed. That's just physics. Mm-hmm. It will happen. But is it enough to cause an explosion or a fire? Absolutely not. It may give you a little shock if you touch it. That's about it. Yes. Uh, my my dust collection for the sander is a, a, a central vacuum system that I have pulling through PVC pipe and I have a flex hose and all that stuff that makes it work. It will shock the hell out of me all the time when my arm hits mm-hmm. it, but it hasn't blown up yet. And that's about as fine as the dust you'll get coming off of the sand. Yeah. A real good example is that if you, if you know, I, I you know, I know Freddie has, you have a festival sander, yes, don't I you, do. oh, Justin? Okay. Yeah. So if you hook that up to a, a dust extractor with a non anti or a non anti static hose, it'll shock you. Yeah, that's exactly. So all the fittings and everything else have to be anti-static, but that's the worst that can happen is it'll shock you. Yeah. Carpet shock. Yeah. Uh, Static static electricity. That's it. It's not, it's not going to blow up. It's not going to catch fire. It's not going to do any of that stuff. And I don't know where people get that from. That being said, as a disclaimer, if anybody's house blows up or anything from us, <laughs> no. you didn't hear that from us. <laughs> we are not responsible. Uh, yeah, we're not, not professionally trained. I'm sorry, in this field. But uh, have you ever read about somebody's shop blowing up or burning down because they're dust collector? I haven't. No, me either. No, no. but I see. I see and, and to be honest it. with you, isn't I, I? And I'm again, no scientist here, but your dust collector is kind of grounded. So, yeah. yeah. It, it the cord the motor itself is grounded so yeah. i don't know if that plays a part in anything it's just it's just not going to happen <laughs> it's just not going to happen somebody's going to somebody's going to hear this and they're going to find they're, they're, it's going to they're going to be it's going to be their mission in life to prove us wrong on that <laughs> because that is a big myth but people will be stubborn about that it's like oh no 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 you're wrong you're wrong well yeah. i i i, I if you if you think we're wrong on any of this stuff, please let us know. Our email is period craftsman <laughs> craftsman with an e at gmail.com. Very much so. Yeah. That was a good one, guy. <laughs> Here's another one. You need special yes. tools to do stuff. You you only get the best results with the best tools. Yes. You can do a lot of things exactly. with a hammer and chisel. Yep. You, you can do a lot. Yeah, we've had we've had this discussion before about, you know, all you really need is a few tools and you can do just about mm-hmm. anything. And a twist off of that would be you have to do things fast, which you don't. I that I have preached that from the beginning. Whenever people say, oh, you're so fast or you do this or I, it takes me forever. 
it doesn't matter how long it takes. Yep. Just do it. Well, I do everything slow because I'm an old fart. That's fine. What else you got to do? <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'll be the first to admit, I've got a lot of fancy little doodads and nice tools and everything else, but that's just simply because Luxury. at one time, not now, but at one time I could afford them. And that's it. I didn't need them. I wanted them. There's a big difference between needs and wants. So you don't need a domino, but it's nice to have when you're doing certain things, yeah. you know, but you don't have to have it. There's lots of other ways to create loose tenon joinery without a domino. You know, the issue with the domino is that you only get 28 of them. And once you use them up, you have to buy another set. Here's a here's a myth. You have to use your dominoes. Sorry, that was not funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, who's next? You. Man, I'm crossing things off the list because people have taken them from me. Let's see here. I got some other ones. Let me check it out. I only had four on my list, so we, we've covered those all already. Everything else is going to be for me on on a side note. Um. Let's see here. Well, the myth is that you can't make a living from woodworking. I hear that all the time. Mm. Now, obviously, it all depends on what type of woodworking, because woodworking is very broad. But I think that you can make a living off of anything if you're good at it. And if you sell product that people actually want. If you're trying to sell something that people don't want or charge a million dollars for a pen, then unfortunately, you're not going to be very successful. But I, I Correct. believe that, you know, when I first started, I did pens and bowls and I made a lot of money doing that stuff. And it was fun. And the material was like free. People were begging me to take their firewood or take their tree that was just recently cut down. So I think depending on what aspect you're doing uh, in woodworking, that it can be you can make a living. Now, you're not going to be making a million dollars in one year, probably. Um, if you are, then please share that knowledge with me. Um, but I think that you can make a, a good living, especially depending on where you live and what you do. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I agree with you Agreed. wholeheartedly. It really depends on what type of woodworking you're doing and how much money you want to make. I mean, we've had this discussion before. You know, I don't need to make, you know, $100,000 a year anymore. I just don't need to. Um and I can live very comfortably on, you know, a much smaller amount than that. Um, some people want to make a lot of money. I, I, I see people on Instagram all the time that are making very simple items, you know, cutting boards, bowls, pens, mallets. And they're actually, you know, feeding their family doing this. Mm -hmm. Now they're not driving BMWs and living in, you know, $4 million homes, but they seem to be very happy with what they're doing. And that's all that really matters is that you're happy with what you're doing. I, I, I think it's, you said it, Freddie, it's price point. Um, when I did shows and I did cutting boards, I sold the mm -hmm. hell out of cutting boards. Right. And then there was people right next to me that didn't sell them. That was because they wanted twice as much as what I wanted for a cutting board. But you know what? I was at the right price point. I was selling them. Could I charge more? Probably. But you know, I, I made money. I walked away with that weekend with a couple grand in my pocket and they only had yep. a couple hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, I agree. That's a good one. 
So who's next? Okay, here's the other one. I got the other one. I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> you can only buy woodworking tools that are brand new at specialty stores. That you have to buy like a Lee Nelson or you have to buy a, um, what's that brand that Woodcraft, Cleveland. Woodcraft sells for hand planes. Uh, Wood, Wood River, River tools that River. you can't do the same thing with a Stanley or a Everlast or a Buck Brothers or whatever it may be. Yeah, you can't check for something to be square unless it's red and made out of aluminum yeah. and says woodpeckers. Yeah, but that. Ha! Oh. Huh. How about your your hand plane has to be square? Oh, your your hand plane has to be perfectly flat on the bottom. You know, yeah. I used to think yeah. that too. And then I put a square and I use some of Phil's and it's just like, holy shit, excuse my language. Um, how are you working this? And his, his response was to me. And I remember like, it was like yesterday. He's like, he looked at my tools before he responded. And he said, boy, you like to buff stuff nice and shiny, don't you? And I, I and I felt proud and I smiled. And he then looked at me and he says, always remember you worked a tool. The tool doesn't work you. And just walked away. And ever since then, I don't buff anything. I just use, you know, it's, it's amazing yeah. what you can do. They you don't know. have rust on them when you use them. Mm -hmm. I mean, they make wooden planes. Yeah, exactly. How flat and could it's, that be? You know, it, and it's, you know, one other thing that amazed me, because I'm like seeing it in my head as I'm talking, is that the sole of a plane that Phil used, I think it was like a number five. And he says, the soil was just so out of flat that, you know, I had to grind the iron to the angle of the soil for it to cut perfectly straight. So it's like he ground a skew on the iron so that it protruded evenly, you know, through the mouth of the plane and it worked beautifully. And he's like, there's a reason why there's an lateral adjustment. Use it. And it's kind of like, man, mm -hmm. so simple. It's like when you think about it, it's just like no crap. Just make it work. Ah, uh, you you have to. Here's a myth: you have to have your blade sharpened to sixteen thousand grit. Oh boy! You have, you have to be able to. You have sharp. to be able to shave your hair. No, 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 no. The only way you know your tool is sharp is you do it on ingrained pine, southern, you know, <laughs> eastern white pine. That's the only way you know it's sharp. And then you go ahead and you cut maple and mahogany, and you don't even get to cut pine. You know, but that's the only way. Glue. I, I, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Cut you know, it's it, we kind of laugh and joke about it, and it's a little, you know, it's an inside joke in the woodworking world. But you know, yeah. it's one of those things that it's a hundred and fifty percent a myth. If you're not going to be cutting pine, who cares if it can't cut pine really cleanly? Cuts my mahogany beautifully. That's all I care about. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. Here's here's one you you know talking about sharpness and tools and all that. <clears throat> Don't don't use your chisel on that because it will dull it. <laughs> you can't you can't use your yeah. chisel on that material because it'll dull too quickly. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I guess I'll just have to sharpen it again. I uh, it drives I, me and crazy. I may have said this before. It drives me crazy. Yeah, I've I use a hand plane a lot and a chisel a lot. There's still a lot of meat left on them, and I sharpen them all the time. So, I mean, if and that, that and that stuff. I'll be surprised. If, I'll be surprised if I don't get 
15 years out of my or 20 years out of my tools and I sharpen them all the time. And to dovetail off of that, I like how I use the word dovetail <laughs> off of that, is, is you can't run plywood over your joiner. Yeah. You can't run it through a planer. Really? I've run it through yeah, planers. You can't run, you can't, you can't run it. You can't run over joiner. It'll dull your, it'll dull, yeah, I, I did it'll dull your blades instantly. <laughs> uh, oh my God. So, if you run your plywood through your table saw, does it dull that instantly? Mm-hmm. No. It's carbide, but you know, I've got carbide inserts on my on my joiner. So it it won't affect anything. Do it a regular blade, who cares? Yeah. It'll work. And run over a regular blade. Theoretically, all you're doing all you're doing is running your wood, wood through on well, end grain and and reverse grain, right? Yeah, but I mean, it, it's still, it's not going to dull it's your blade. Fine. The wood is not harder than the steel on your joiner knives. Yeah, I mean, right. And, and, and I'm not playing devil's advocate here, but somebody's probably going to say, well, it's all the glue in there. I'm sure it's not helping the blade, but yeah, you'll be all right. Yeah. But yeah, I've run plywood through the planer to thin it. I've, I've never done right. that, but I've, I've run plenty of plywood right. over a joiner plenty of times yeah and it's not an issue the other one that i like is that you can't run wood through the planer across the grain you ever done that it's like you only can go send it to the planer with the grain and i will say that Mm. it's a myth but you have to be aware that it can clog the the hose or it can clog the the vent of your dust collection because when you're slicing across the grain, the fibers are cut differently. They're not actual chips. They're more like strands, Big exactly. Strands. But it cuts beautifully. Yeah. That makes sense. Kind of it's the same thing happens when you run plywood through the planer. <laughs> well, you know, the thing that's also interesting is that I know people who said to me that <laughs> they've milled down end grain cutting boards through the planer. Yeah. You know? And I'm just like, what? I've yeah, I've, I've, I've heard I'm of like, that. I think if it's a big enough piece and you can hold it right, yeah, easily, and take a and a sh- very shallow. Yeah, cut. take a really shallow cut, and then they put a they put a a piece on the end so it doesn't chip out. I did it the other day on the table with that hand planer, right through the end grain of that that uh Amazing. Red end. No yeah. problems. Amazing. Yeah, just don't take an eighth of an inch off. Right, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Again. If anything happens, yeah. anybody can hear that from us. You know, if your if your uh, dust collection explodes, it's not our fault. Yeah, you should have grounded it. You should have <laughs> bought that thirty dollar grounding yeah. kit. Yeah, yeah, should have put the wire on there. That's yeah. your fault. Right. All right. I think we're missed out. We all missed out. I think so. I think we are missed out. Okay. I'm going to take a second to talk about Patreon. And how much we appreciate all our Patreon patrons. And uh, I'm going to talk about the people that are in the top tiers. And that's Tab Adams, Peter Escobedo, Sean Raymakers, Cole Roberts, John Ross, Antoine Poitras, Luke Hatterberg, Eric Cole, and Steve Karinich. Karinich. Thank you very much, guys. I, I, you know, we talk about this every every couple of weeks and it's, it's just so humbling <clears throat> to see these people, mm-hmm. you know, giving their hard-earned dollars to us so they can hear us ramble on like I'm doing now. But we really appreciate it. And uh, if you want to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash against the grain. 
Yeah. All right. So I got. And I don't know if you did forget him or not. I'm sorry, Freddie, but Larry Governor. Larry Governor. Grubner. Governor. Yeah. Governor. Yeah. Not Governor. It's not Governor. Grubner. We love you, Larry. Absolutely. So I forgot there was one last myth. Okay. One last Uh, myth. One more. And this transitions into my pick of the week. Okay. The last myth is that if a piece is veneered, it means that it's cheap or low grade. And that is 100% false. Now, I can't say it's true to everything out there in the world made with veneer. But if it's properly done, and if it's in a traditional form or even with modern technology with a vacuum bag, it does not mean that it's low-grade material or low-grade piece. And Correct. Or if it's made out of yes, plywood, exactly. it's cheap. Mm-hmm. Or MDF. And now, if you want a complete guide... From the most basic to the most advanced, there's a great new book that came out. It's called The Craft of Veneering by Mr. Craig Thibodeau. It's produced or written by or being sold through uh, Taunton Press, Amazon. You you won't get the signature of Craig Thibodeau, the left-handed man wonder, uh, because if you're looking for that, then you have to go direct to him. But I will say that in this book for $29.95 or less, depending on where you find it, it's 240 pages long. It was just published in 2018 in October. There's well over 500 photographs. I counted every single one of them just to make sure. But I want to make sure my money is is getting paid for. Like I'm getting everything out of these books. Like, you know, I, I count. It says 500. I want to see 500 pictures. And, and that's just me being you know joking but it's a great book it's probably uh the bible now it's uh it's the most recent and most accurate book and craig has great information great insight uh the guy is extremely skilled he will be on his podcast in the future so pay attention to that i've already spoke to him in that manner and um i highly recommend it um he's been doing it for 20 years he's running for fine woodworking popular woodworking Australian Wood Review, uh, Good work, Woodworking Magazine. There's a ton of information that he's been sharing and producing, and uh, I highly recommend the book. Yeah, I've, I've, I pre-ordered it, and I've, I'm actually looking at my copy right now. I've read it cover, I read it cover to cover in the first couple of days after I got it, and it's a lot of good info. The thing I like about it is, is that it's very straightforward. There's no fluff. It's just this is how I do it. And this is why I do it this way. And it's very well written. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, you're right. It's, it's, it's a reference book now. So. Freddie, I gotta say that was the smoothest segue I have ever heard. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it threw me for a loop. And the next thing you know, you were into your book. So thank you. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yes, it's a great book. Guy, what's your tool this week? My tool this week, I've probably talked about it before, but I'm going to talk about it again, are my vacuum pods for vacuum cleaning yes. with my with my pump. I was talking about, you know, I, using a domino before. Today, I made eight drawers for my cabinets, and I used a domino to do it. So on each drawer, there's four. Uh, actually, there's uh, eight holes. Um I cut 128 pocket holes today. 
or pockets for dominoes. It took me, I think, a half an hour to do because of that vacuum clamp. Amazing. Just put the board up against it. Nice. Drill, hit a foot pedal, flip it around. It's rock solid. It's just such a pleasure to use. I, I, I it's, it's just wonderful. That's my tool of the week. Vacuum clamp. Awesome. Okay. My tool of the week. And if you guys watched my Instagram stories, I would have told you it's that, uh, an edge planer. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not going to tell you to get a Makita. I I think they're all good. Right. I think that Ryobi one's supposed to be really good from what I've seen and heard from other people. Uh, but yeah, no, that is, that is the tool that I use for this whole job <laughs> to straight edge everything and then clean it all up. Um, so this is just a handheld joiner, handheld power joiner. My, yeah. my yep. hands can pick Little up a three inch. It's just like, Oh, Ryobi. Uh, it's, it's supposed <laughs> okay, to be one of the nicer ones out there. So I, I have this one, this was given to me by my dad. So he retired. I got it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a useful little tool. Awesome. I don't have one. I've never used it. I I may have used one when I worked in the field. My uncle always hadn't used to use it, but I never think I ever used it. This is really the first time I ever used it. Tuned it up, and it works beautifully. So, um, will will it get all the it perfectly straight? No, but it got me ninety five percent of the way there. And then every time, all I did was just take a hand plane and clean up a little bit. Cool. But it beats doing it over a joiner well, with a twelve foot board. That's for yeah. sure. Did guy go already for the tool of the week? Okay, so yep. I wanted yep. to actually throw a tool in the week in there. You know, I bought this Milwaukee oh. Rocket Light twelve volt. You know, like last year around Christmas time, Home Depot was selling these uh, impact driver and regular driver drills uh, twelve volt by uh, Milwaukee. And I didn't need it, and I was just like, but man, I need something that I can bring on site. I don't have to. I, I like to have things organized and not forget something. So I have doubles of everything. And sometimes I leave stuff on site and then I'm here the next day in my shop. And it's like, Oh, I left my drills. So I bought this two setup, two drill setup for a hundred bucks last year. They're not the brushless ones, just the regular ones. And they're a 12 volt. They work wonderfully for what I, what I need. And then the other day I'm working inside someone's house and I need some lighting. So it's like, Oh, I gotta go home Depot, see what I can find. And I saw this 12 volt rocket, like adjustable lighting, uh, fixture by Makita and by Milwaukee. And it said it can work with a 12 volt. And I was just like, man, this is probably going to suck 12 volt. How much power is this actually going to give me? How much light? And I put that thing in there and man, is that thing amazing? I was just like, holy moly. And, uh, it well worth 130 bucks. It, it made me worked so much more efficient and easier and I didn't bump my head against the wall so many times and uh, I highly recommend it. It's pretty good. Did, did you say it works on the 18 volt as well or just the 12 volt? No, just the 12. There's an 18 okay. volt one, but I didn't, I didn't have an 18 okay. volt battery. So I was like, man, I don't want to invest in that mm-hmm. system. And then I happened to see that there's a 12 volt one. And I was just like, I wonder if this works. And then I tried it out and it cool. worked amazing. The, the LED lighting is yeah. just absolutely amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right. 
That's what I got. I hope we busted some myths. I, th- I hope we, I, I think we're going to get a lot of comments. And remember, yeah. period craftsman, crafts with an S, <laughs> men, men with, with an, an e. e at gmail.com. Men with an E. For any. Freddie, where can you be found? I think guys said it for me. It's a period craftsman, crafts with an S, men with an E, dot com. With an E, not an A, but an A. With an E, as an elephant. I can be found at guyswoodshop.com. Justin? And I can be found at uh, jdfinewoodworking at gmail.com. You can find all of us at theatgpodcast.com or theatgpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, on our website, if you go to our website, uh, theatgpodcast.com, you can leave comments on all the the uh, the episodes. You can find all our episodes there, actually. So, And then we do post little short descriptions, which end up in your feed as well sometimes. But uh, you can find the podcast pretty much on any podcast catcher except for SoundCloud. So... <laughs> Guy's working on that one. Yep. Right, Guy? Yep, I'm on it. <laughs> I'm all over it, man. We're, we're guaranteed to be on there by 2025. Yep. So. Big time. That's when Guy officially is 125. Uh, <laughs> hey, in another year, I get all those cool senior citizens discounts. I'm so excited. Mm. Oh, so, yeah. So, we're going I'm to so co- excited to go to Bob Evans we- on Wednesdays and get 10% off. <laughs> You know, blue light special, my, extra discount. My grandfather tells me that Chick-fil-A has some discounts too. He says everybody knows them in there. Yeah, I, I went to the hardware <laughs> store the other day and they said on Tuesdays they give an extra 15% off to anybody 55 and over. I'm like, yes. Oh, but I thought you did grocery shopping on Fridays. Yeah, that doesn't work in your schedule. <laughs> this oh, is the hardware sucks. store. Oh, the hardware okay. store. Are you allowed to the house though? Yeah, I'm a lot out of the house. I got a, I got a car, I got a truck, and everything, man. Oh, I got a driver's license and insurance. (laughs) I'm allowed to drive still. They haven't taken my license yet. That's awesome. Keep 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 up the good work. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's end this. Yeah, let's end it. All right, thank you, everybody. We'll see you guys later. Talk to you. beautifully i was like wow this is going pretty good
Yeah, we 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 hadn't heard you for a long time. 